to episode 53 54 of Ribbon of Memes a podcast where we um, interrogate films previously described by other investigators as masterpieces I am joined as ever by the ravenous Roger if it's not in frame it doesn't exist <laughs> and today we are uh, studiously not looking in the mirror, um, strapping on the garlic and making sure we are full of motion lotion because we are exploring vampires. Specifically, we are going bang up to date with the 1922 film Nosferatu. And not, as you uh, may have gathered from my opening quote, the classic uh, George Hamilton 80s um comedy love at first bite not to say we never will but you know not today i'm not sure it'll trouble a masterpiece film but i have a great deal of affection (laughs) for it um but we are doing a second feature um which will be a somewhat meta look at 2000's shadow of the vampire um which is uh the story of how they film nosferatu or is it we'll come to that later spoiler it isn't (laughs) <laughs> okay, all right, we won't go too late. Um, so, 1922, a hundred-year-old film, our oldest film we've looked at ever. Um, this is F. Murnau's, uh, sorry, Friedrich uh, Murnau's, I'm going to say masterpiece, outside. I don't think it's particularly controversial, yeah, yeah. Um, Nosferatu. Uh, we can talk about whether it works for the modern age, um, uh, but it is... Um, it's a film I felt I'd seen already, but hadn't. Um, I knew, you know, the imagery is, is public domain. It was in a Queen video, I think, under pressure. Um, it, it has been widely copied in other yes. films as well. Yes, and not just because it itself was... Um, well, it's not really a copy, a copy of Dracula. It's, it's an unofficial adaptation in that they had no intention of paying the Stoker. That, that, that gets rights. complicated. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. This is the first time that the story of the novel Dracula was put on film. Yes, and it really so. is quite close. Closer than a lot of adaptations, frankly, of Dracula. Um, mm. It's not perhaps not quite as close as... Um, uh, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Francis Ford Coppola's um, Dracula, but... It's a better film, so I'm not <laughs> going to argue about that. It is um, heavily in the um, oeuvre of German Expressionism. Um, and we haven't covered an Expressionist film before. We've certainly covered its children, namely Film Noir. I, I think it's fair to say it was pretty heavily, heavily at least, influenced yeah, by Expressionism. Yeah. And um, probably horror as well was to some extent um, well it, I think it doesn't help that it's, it's a very slippery genre I mean people will argue about whether a particular film is or isn't in the expressionist style uh, yes, I, I think it's it best to say you know it. that there are things that are more and less but you can't say it's absolutely this or absolutely not this I suppose the one I think of as my go to would be the cabinet of Dr Caligari which mm. is all weird angles and very not realistic, uh, almost cartoonish but in a very dark uh, disturbing way whereas this isn't this isn't really not realistic but it's heavy use of shadow and contrast and uh, special effects I suppose, which I was surprised are um, quite effective um, mm. but we'll come on to it But yeah, no, no, let's, what... no, let's not forget the cabinet has only come out two years ago yeah, yeah we're, we're not so. that far away um, I, I think this is a time when you were the importing of foreign films to watch in Germany was banned. As far as I can tell, yes, um, it certainly happened in that. It certainly the import was banned in 1916. At some point, obviously, that ban was removed. I haven't been able to find details on that. 
right, but given yes. the state of the German economy, it would not at all surprise me if, if it were still active at this point. Yes, the mood was a bit grim in Germany at the time, and the films that came out of Germany were quite grim too. Um, uh, and they certainly have a distinctive visual style. Um, they were much more. Well, to be fair, these are the ones that remembered. I mean, that there, there are plenty of uh, <laughs> well, forgotten the... and even lost films that just nobody thought worth preserving, and they may well have been right. Well, uh, yeah, it's a fair point. Nosferatu was also nearly lost, I believe, because it mm-hmm. got burnt up by all the stokers, so to speak, um, who uh, are legal Well, okay, sh- sh- shall we deal with that at this point? Because yes, it's, it's, it's a bit of a why, why it's... Um, so, yeah, basically, Murnau clearly knew that this was an adaptation. It is a quite a close adaptation. The, name, yes. the names are changed, and some people say that this is to... Yeah, try to disguise the source. I, I honestly don't think that is the case. The story is so obviously similar that... It would be hard to say legally that Orlok is not direct. I mean, there's characters that map directly onto the characters in the novel. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I think it is reasonable to say that the names were probably changed to localise it for a German audience. Yeah, just right, these are the yes. names you're, you're, the sort of name you're more familiar, more familiar with, more used to hearing. Then once you've started changing some of them, you can change more of them. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Florence Stoker sued. Uh, there was there was never any attempt to get a uh, to get the film rights from her. This, this is Bram's, no. Bram's widow, of course. Um, yes. And essentially, had it destroyed, um, the only copies that survived were ones that had already been sent outside Germany, and that that is why we have it now. Lucky us, really. Yes. It's a very good film. <laughs> I think they surfaced after Bram Stoker's widow died in the late twenties, possibly. Yeah, so so the production company Prana Films um, bankrupted itself because this was this was the first film they had made. So it was it was just easier to do that than to fight. Oh, I see. Okay. Particularly since they probably wouldn't have lost. Though they we'll we'll come back to uh, Arben Grau later. And the names came, I think, from Murnau himself rather than uh, the screenwriter. Uh, Henrik, uh, I've written it down here and can't read my own writing. Henrik Green? That can't be right. Galeen. Galeen, there we go. <laughs> that makes more sense. I think I read somewhere they came from Murno. And also, um, I also read, and I think it's true, that um, Nosferatu is a better name than Dracula. If you say Dracula, you smile. If you say Nosferatu, you're sucking a lemon. <laughs> 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 which, uh, which I'm not going to argue with. Um, so the film itself, uh, so they're sort of the reasons that existed, the reason why we still got it. Um, the film itself is, uh, it's a silent film. It's all title cards. And so I suppose we may have watched different versions of it. This is out of public. Almost certainly, yeah. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I... Uh, there's differences in title cards. The first version I found, because it's freely available on YouTube because it's out of copyright, um, had uh, actual characters uh, from Dracula in, in the um, in the title cards. The <laughs> the Renfield alike was actually called Renfield. Um, Dracula was Dracula. Um, I don't know if we listen to the same music, so I don't think we can really comment on that either. I, I don't uh, know my, mine was definitely uh, heavily influenced by 80s synthesizer. In terms of the selection of instruments. That's the difficulty, isn't it, really? Because the the music is influential here, um, and... And it was designed, it was designed to be, uh, shown with music, yeah. Yeah. Though most of the original score hasn't been preserved, so. It'd be nice to know what the original scores were. I, I read somewhere that, um, uh, Murnau had a metronome on set. It was so designed to be with music so that it would keep with the beats of the music um, mm. whether that's true or not I don't know but the the film closely follows the structure of the book at least until the third act um, I mean I, I'm going to talk about the novel Dracula here um, the the opening is astonishing I think with Jonathan Harker in the castle um, the sea voyage uh, is interesting as soon as it moves back to England it slows right down introduces a load of characters and frankly gets quite dull I've always thought the third act of the Dracula novel uh, mm. was pretty poor compared to its opening and most adaptations seem to uh, suffer from the same problem certainly the BBC adaptation from a few years ago had a real trouble with its third act um, when it opened very well Uh so there are some changes to the third act here, but uh, basically we have um, 
uh, Hutter, who's the Jonathan Harker alike, travels off to the Carpathians to meet the mysterious Count Orlock, who's buying a house in uh, somewhere that looks suspiciously like Bremen. May or may not have said Bremen on your title cards. I think for me it said Var, Varheim or Valheim. Or... Originally it was Visborg. Visborg. Which, which, is, right. which is a made up place, obviously. Um, yes. Uh, where was it they filmed? Uh, but basically, yeah, it's, it's those, um, you know, Lubeck, for example. Uh, yes. it's, it's those North German coastal towns. And it's interesting because a lot of those don't exist so much anymore because of the Second World War, which destroyed a lot of them. So it's fascinating to see. So, I mean, some are well preserved, but most of them are uh, got firebombed by uh, the RAF. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fascinating to see them on film. Um, Sorry, I've distracted myself. Um, Again, we're pretty close to the novel here in that Harker is left behind as a prisoner. We don't have the the trio of female vampires. Uh, In fact, there's a lot of characters cut from the the novel. Um, But Orlok um, gets himself on a ship sailing back to Visburg, kills everyone on board the ship, uh, moves opposite Hutter's uh, bow, I don't know. They, is she his wife? I didn't quite work that out. Well, me. yeah. I mean, ag- again, in the original titles, yes, she is definitely called his wife. Um, yeah. On the other hand, uh, there's all that stuff about her being an innocent maiden. Yeah, that, so, I think that's what confused me. Really, um, the, there were a few characters that uh, that sort of come in a little bit and don't really do anything. That there's a, a, a Van Helsinger-like character. Who never really? I don't, I don't know if he's supposed to be the narrator. It felt like that from the the cards I had, but uh, but doesn't he refer? I mean, when when he's mentioned earlier with the, with the famous Venus Venus flytrap scene. Oh yes, yes. Uh, he is named as such in the titles. So that remind this is a film that has you know a hundred years ago it was doing intercutting scenes of. Uh, unrelated things, but the commenting on the main story, which I thought was mm. a modern, uh, a modern uh, way of doing things. But oh, there we go, hundred year ago film. And also, the cameras are much more mobile than, than is usual at this at this sort of time. It's quite. I mean, this not quite filmmaking in its infancy, but you know, the standard approach is you set it up like a theatre, you point the camera at it, and the actors do their thing, yeah. and. There is some of that here. I mean, it was very obvious to me when I started watching that, yeah, it's the, that expansive acting style that's designed <laughs> so you can see in the cheap seats right at the back what I am it feeling. Ta- yes, it takes a bit of getting used to that this is kind of... Uh, lowest common denominator is not right, but, but it, it, there's no sound. They have to act with their faces, which, golly, they do. And um, I, as you say, yeah, it has to be very visible right at the back of this auditorium. I don't know if that uh, damped down a bit or I just got used to it, but I wasn't noticing it by the end of the film. For sure. I, I've certainly got used to it in film before. Uh, I, di- I didn't find it particularly hard this time. Uh, but, you know, contrasting with that, you've got this much more mobile camera work. Uh, you've got shooting on location, which is very rare. Yes. Uh, you've got day for night shooting. Uh, in the original release, I believe it was tinted blue. Um, most of the surviving prints have, well, most of the released prints have various tinting in different colours at different times. Uh, yes, but, mine, mine yeah. didn't that I watched. Consequently, it looks like Nosferatu is wandering about in daylight at some points, which confused me a little bit. <laughs> uh, it, another technical point, I mean, the, the carriage going unreasonably fast, uh, done with undercranking. Mm-hmm. It, oh right, it does look a bit naff now. We have seen, you know, a lot of undercranking. Yeah. On the other hand, um, you know, it, it's set up a bit showing that, showing the grotty state of the roads, so that works. It, um, it worked for me, actually, the almost, the sort of stop motion appearance of it. Um, yeah, I, it, it's kind of a, a shorthand for the soup, something supernatural happening. There, there was one shot of, of horses that, uh, that where, where there's, um, black smoke blowing across the road, and I wondered if that had actually been shot in negative, and then... Yes, there, there were definitely some shots, and I think that might be the one where you have sort of... Yeah, you had, like, white trees against a black sky, and it certainly mm. looked... If parts of it were negative. Again, it it worked. Now, I was watching this, as I often watch these films, on my little phone. Heretic! 
I know, I know. <laughs> and I could have watched it on my TV because I, I, uh, uh, I could have YouTube it, but I, um, well, I did, but I just watched it on my phone. Um, it was still effective and atmospheric for me. Mm. I, I mean, it really did. And there are bits that work really well, like uh, the cross-fading in the ship. And... Yes, yes. All right, it's the bit everybody knows because it's the it's the still people use when they're talking about this film. But the shadow on the stairs, the shadow on the stairs. Um, it was a it was a very brief scene ultimately, but yeah. it, it it worked. The the ones that I almost work better for me because they're less they're still very well known, but less well known is is him, yeah, rising stiffly out of his coffin, mm. which just it's just unnatural. And it, I, 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 it's become a bit of a cliche now is that that's how vampires get out of coffins. But it just then, and he's so tall um, and so like insect-like and rat-like. He's he's very. Um, this is a vampire that's very animalistic. Um, you know, he looks like a, a sort of a rat in his face. He's got these bat ears. He's he's like the way he moves is like a, a praying mantis. It's. Um, I think that's a really interesting change because, as far as I'm concerned, Dracula is basically an old world gentleman. And, yes, and Stoker is writing about the menace of the sexy foreigner, essentially. Yeah, he's, he's sort of this urbane um, and slightly sexy lord who, uh, again, uh, I think I'm writing the books, gets younger as sort of the 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 um, the play goes on, the the book goes on, um, and more powerful, um, and he's just sort of inconvenienced by walking about in the daytime. Um, but here he's um, he's a monster. He's a, he's a monster. I mean, that everyone, it's just, he's just got this enough veneer of civilization for people to not run screaming from the room, but that's all they want to do the second they see him because mm. he's terrifying. Um, and I, I, th- yeah, and I, mean, I think that works, you know. I'm only staying here because I'm going to make an awful lot of money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's one quite close up of him from the side when he's in, um, uh, Visberg, um, and you can actually see some prosthetics on him, hmm. which is a, this is Max Schreck, uh, the uh, as as um, Nosferatu, who, who uh, I, I think even at the time there were rumours that he didn't actually exist, um, <laughs> but he did exist and was in a number of other films. Um, but there's only that one shot where it is is clear he's wearing some kind of prosthesis, and in the rest he just just inhabits this monster. There's I mean, the thing that makes Nosferatu Nosferatu work is Orlok because he just mm. disturbing and terrifying. the The other one that worked for me is when um, Hutter slash Harker, whatever you want to call it, looks out of his door in the castle and just sees him staring at him from like across the courtyard, framed in this archway. Um, gosh, yeah, I just the, the imagery is. Um, just spectacular in mm. this film. I mean, that echoes down to now. But uh, it, it's—I don't know how it manages to to pull at some kind of primal terror or disturbance, particularly when this is a very well-known and parodied. You know, Nosferatu is a type of vampire in in the vampire um, role-playing game. Um, it, it's just become a thing that everyone knows. I wonder whether it's because it is so universal uh, that this this is the wellspring of quite a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. I I was surprised how much um, modern vampire lore was in this. You know, if this is if this was all here a hundred years ago, I haven't really thought of that much different. To be honest, <laughs> I mean, later adaptations, um, as you say, made him much more of an urbane uh, character. Well, that's this. that's going along with the book as well. Yeah, yeah, and in in other adaptations, he's kind of urbane and sexy, but underneath there's this beast, and that's the scary thing. But here, there's no underneath. <laughs> he just <laughs> is terrifying, and it I, it works well. It works very well for me. The the visual aspect of it and the, the creepiness. Yeah, those fingernails. I say it shouldn't be creepy, but it. But he's a very physical actor, and I guess you had to be. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like. Exact like some of the other actors, it's it it felt at least at first felt a bit over the top. But with him, mm. I suppose he's got the luxury of actually being a monster. But it uh, it, it doesn't feel as if he is playing to the cheap seats. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it just feels like the physicality is all monster. It's um, I, th- I think one performance. should probably mention um, quite a lot of the bits of Orlok and indeed quite a lot of the bits of Nock have elements of the Jewish villain stereotype 
which we obviously know from, well, at least I know because I've I've had to do research into it for a game I was running, uh, recognised from Nazi propaganda. Um, I don't think Murnau was particularly anti-Semitic. There's there's no evidence of it. But he was just in this culture that says villains look like this. You yes, know, I think that was. They, more... they, ha- they have the great big noses, and and if uh, you can say villains have great big noses, uh, what, what do you mean? Some some other people might have those as well. Oh no, I'm not anti-Semitic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's hard to know how much was influenced, but it certainly be commented on. Um, I think the actor who plays Knock slash Remfield was Jewish. I think so. Um, yeah. But uh, not that that uh, means you can't be under the thrall of anti-Semitism. I think you're right. I think it. As you say, there's no evidence that Murnau was anti-Semitic, but he was. He can't help but have been influenced. And he was this, effectively, in a closed society, yeah, but that was being told this is what evil looks like. It probably did influence it, unfortunately. Um, but there we are. I don't think it was... Well, I don't know. What do we know? But I, I don't think it was deliberate. Mm. Uh, I, I will... All right, I <laughs> the the contract. You you get a fair, fair look at the contract, and it looks a bit weird. That <laughs> that's because it is arcane it, symbols. Uh, yeah, actual arcane symbols. Uh, he's he's using Enochian mostly. Is that true? Did no one think? I you would have thought Hutter would be like, hang on, this doesn't look like my standard contract. <laughs> um, but again, it works. Uh, this, film, this is Albin Grau, who is um, producer and production designer. Uh, the, the, uh, the look is the largely, no, no, who, who, who did the production design? The, the look oh, is see, largely yeah. his. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's distinctive for sure. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't quite make sense as, as some of it doesn't, but it's, um. Well, it's, unless you reckon that, uh, Nock slash Renfield has already come under the influence to some extent. Well, he must have done, must he? Because he never actually meets, um, Orlock, as far mm. as I can tell. Um, it's, it's those eyebrows. They're lovely eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> that, his expression, again, there's something just deeply disturbing and creepy. There's another, um, I don't know, the bit where he jumps on, so when, uh, knock, uh, the Remfielder like jumps on the back of the guard and drops him to the ground and throttles him and just sort of leaves him there and we don't, we don't sort of see a close up of the attack. We just see the movement and then he stands up and the guard mm-hmm. doesn't. That felt, I don't know, for me that felt weirdly modern as well, but, um, it, I don't know, it just, I, this is a master director at work, I, I think it just, um, I was kind of blown away by yeah. how I was drawn into the story. I, I just, and I, you know, it's a story I know well, it's a silent movie, it's a hundred year old film, and I was, I was gripped, honestly, by it, um, uh, by the visual storytelling of it. It's, it's very good. It's very good. Yeah, I mean, this, this is part of my comfort zone anyway, but yes. Yes, that's fair enough. Um, and yeah, I, I, I am not thrown by, ooh, yes, the, the famous hyenas of Transylvania. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, for, I'd forgotten the hyena. Um, that was clearly exotic enough in a uh, hundred years ago mm-hmm. to stand in for a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. And all right. So, so I, I got the impression that, um, when they were talking about harmless congestions of the blood, this was pretty much code for lady problems. Don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Fair point. Yes. But uh, yeah, and there are, there are one or two bits that don't work. And um, for me, climbing down the castle wall, dramatic sequence. But we haven't yes. had a shot showing. Gosh, this is terribly tall and dangerous. We just have the close up. Yeah, I agree. Uh, at I least in the one I saw. I accepted it in the sense that um, I kind of knew how dangerous it was from the novel. But that is certainly something other adaptations have done very well and, and particularly a disturbing image from the book is, is uh, Count Dracula scaling the wall like a spider mm. which other adaptations have made look really eerie and disturbing and I just if we'd had Max Shrek doing that oh my god it would have been amazing <laughs> but no we don't we get a little like it, it might have been five feet from what you get from the film as far as you can tell he <laughs> drops out of shot uh, and then lands on the floor yeah that's fair yeah. on the other hand um Ellen's Beach. Here is a beach with convenient grave markers for, for you to brood in. I mean, my inner goth perked up at that. <laughs> it's uh, it's very Wuthering Heights. I like it. Not that there's a beach in Wuthering Heights, but it, it feels like that kind of desolate nature thing. It's uh, it's good. Um, I I found it for me. It 
much as the novel does, it flagged a little bit in the... I won't call it the third act, because it, it's full of acts, this film. I, mine, I think it was Act 6 by the time they get back to um, Pittsburgh. Mm. Um, I found it flagged a bit then, because um, I'm just sort of waiting waiting for it to end. I don't know what it is about the structure of Dracula, but once he's out of his creepy comfort zone, uh, I didn't... I, it falls away a bit for me. And, and I was surprised to find that happened in Nosferatu 2. Uh, Nosferatu 2, that's it. Well, I, I think <laughs> part of it is you, you have these extra people who weren't involved in, in the earlier yes. uh, scenes, and they have to be convinced and brought on board and know this, this guy really is a problem. Yes. And we already know that, uh, and we don't know who they are, and it becomes a bit of a chore to see mm. them come on board, I think. Oh, yeah, I, do, I do like the idea of him, him getting back to, to Visborg after this uh, perilous overland trip. Uh, welcome back. Your employer has gone mad, so you won't be getting paid. And <laughs> your, your wife is possibly going mad as well. And so this guy's just moved in opposite you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a really nice guy, yeah. And, uh, I guess, to, uh, to be fair, this doesn't do that. I mean, it goes wholehearted on the monster thing, and I think that's probably yes, a good does. decision. Yes, it does. Um, we have a whole subplot with Nock, which doesn't really go anywhere. He escapes, he jumps on the roof, and by the end of it, he's back in the cell again. Mm. Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, visually, he's a fascinating... He's almost as monstrous in his way, in his movements, in his uh, insanity, uh, as as the, the Count... But I wasn't really sure of the the, the point of that subplot, um, mm. and I was just kind. I enjoyed it, but then I just wanted it to wrap up, which it did. I mean, he just ended up back in his cell. Um, the but... thing that did throw me slightly, and this this may be just because I'm sensitive to it, and, and a contemporary audience wouldn't have been, is how much weird psychic action to distance we get. I mean, uh, what, what Ellen is he, he, he's he's having weird. Thing, um, you know, not just uh, I'm not happy about my boyfriend slash husband going away, but she, she's yes. having active, I think something is wrong feelings well yes. before anything could reach her, basically once uh, Orlock has seen her portrait. Yeah, there's no... Uh, yeah, that's the only thing, at least in the film, that's explained as to how a connection is established. And we're not re- we never understand how Nock and uh, the Count are connected, even though they clearly are. I I kind of let it go, but I agree. I was a little confused. I I, I mean, I suppose I took it as a, an evidence of uh, the the count's massive mental abilities. Mm. But I agree uh, that it, it felt a little um, uh, plot wavyum or hand wavyum, um, plot hammerish. Um, but the, I mean, then uh, again, I mean, we we now look at the thing and say, uh, here, here are ten guys standing around saying, yep. This ship's definitely had plague aboard. Let us all go home and spread it to our families. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. That, uh, the plague was a nice touch in the. I don't recall anything like that happening in the film. It's not. Or, it, it's it's not in, in the, the book, book. Um, um, but it works really well. Yeah, I, I did like the the idea of the plague and all the streets deserted and everyone. Uh, I didn't mind it dwelling on that plot too much um although it did it did slow it down a little bit but um it worked better than the the kind of i do find in the book the fairly te- exactly as you say this kind of tedious drawing together of the the kind of forces of light um with characters who haven't been in it before uh and the only one i'm really interested in is is mina harker basically because mm. she's the only interesting character out of the lot there um but I did prefer the ending to the book that was that she um that uh, the Mina are like um we don't have a a Lucy type character no. in this film or at least they uh, they seem to be uh, she she, she has she has some friends she stays with while while Hutter is away but yeah. um they don't really get involved yes so i guess in some ways uh, Mina and Lucy are, are, are squashed together in um uh, in Greta, it's not Greta, is it? But Greta's the actress. Ellen. I'm getting, I'm getting confused because the shadow of the vampire. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But in, in Ellen's character, but I, I like the idea that she. I, I found it a more satisfying ending that she sacrifices herself to 
kill the count, basically, mm. but to get him so bloated and lethargic that he uh, doesn't realise daylight has come. Um, and this is certainly the first time that was done. The, the, the yes, actual kill, no... killing by daylight rather than just being weakened or whatever. Yeah, certainly in the novel, he can, he's a daywalker, isn't he? As we would say it nowadays, Dracula. <laughs> um, there's no suggestion that he's going to explode when he's ex- exposed to light. There was, I was slightly surprised to see, even in Nosferatu with this bestial character, there's definitely some suggestion of eroticism in her feeling towards the Count. You know, there's a lot of breast touching and, and moaning, um, which I thought was a later addition, this kind of, um, uh, I mean, it's in the book between the lines, very between the lines, because it's a Victorian novel, but um, uh, it was added much more explicitly later. But I was mm. surprised to see, or did I imagine that? Did you get a similar feeling from the acting? Uh, it was a little bit. For me, it was sort of on, on the level of um, you know, the Flash Gordon. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, fair enough. When, yes. when Ming first sees Dale and uses his ring to hypnotise her into going into lust mode. Yeah, exactly. um, yes, it's, I mean, it's not... Yes, that's fair point. It's not subtle, um, uh, but it's not it's not over the top either. But I was surprised to see it there at all, um, uh, particularly with this this monstrous pallid figure. Mm. Well, I think that's the point. Is it's the contrast, and she she is yeah. not uh, in control of herself to to really to any extent at all. Yes. Um, yeah. So this is the first film. Mm, this is not the first film to be made that was called Dracula. Well, it's not called Dracula. <laughs> uh, it is the first film to be based on the novel. There, There is a lost Hungarian film from the previous year. Yes. Uh, but by as far as I've been able to discover, that is basically a rip-off of The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari from the year before that, that just got called Dracula. Now, is there... Okay, so there, was the name... Uh, in common parlance, I mean, how famous was the novel at this point? I mean, obviously, it's it's spectacularly famous now, but I get the feeling that's more because of Hollywood than the book itself. Is that fair to say, or was it? Again, we may not know the answer to this. But I think was... so. I mean, this is what twenty five years ago it came out. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, it was well received when it came out. Um, yeah. It was. Generally considered, yeah, frightening and so on. Um, was it a classic of horror literature? I mean, there had been. It certainly wasn't the only vampire fiction. You know, even um, uh, you did that party where they did Frank at a party that summer uh, <laughs> by the by the lake where they where Mary uh, Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Mm. Um, uh, the, the doctor there wrote the vampire, didn't he? I've forgotten his name. Uh, Polidori, yeah. Polidori, yeah. So, uh, and that was. Was that Wait, pre Bram Stoker? That was pre Stoker, wasn't it? Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, it must what, be. Must be. I wonder what sort of yeah, because it was around about the time um, that volcano happened. Um, I'm getting very sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> that's why there was no summer, and they all had to stay indoors, as I recall. Anyway, um, but yeah, I mean that, that's 1819 that that summer. Okay, and, yes. Um, Dracula so comes out well before. 97, I think. 1897. We had, like, Varney the Vampire was, like, a penny dreadful Yeah, character. and Anne Radcliffe is doing her thing. Uh, yeah, so what... I, again, I've never quite fathomed quite what it was about Dracula. Did it give some class to what were um, otherwise fairly sordid villains at this point? Or was it just a deep dive? Was it the very similitude? I, I'm not quite sure what it was about Dracula, though. Maybe just a very memorable villain, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, um, Dracula was based to some extent on Bram Stoker's knowledge of Oscar Wilde. <laughs> really? Uh, just as uh, Polidori's vampire is based on... Um, uh, Byron, is yeah. Right? yeah. So, I mean... This is Victorian England. There is an awful lot of sexuality, particularly female sexuality, that isn't being talked about, and everybody yeah. knows that it isn't being talked about. Okay, uh, yes. So Stoker did um, uh, stoke that fire a little bit with his um, suggestion of it. I mean, it's where all the uh, is that. So was he the first one to explicitly make a connection between sexuality and vampires and? He can't have been the first. I don't, I don't, I think it was one of, one of those things of, you know, going a lot further than other books had. Yeah. 
I, d- I don't think it ever got banned. Uh, probably did somewhere. Because um, that does wonders for your sales, generally. Yeah. Um, but it was, at least at the time, uh, it was very much here. Most, most of the uh, vampires were monsters, as we've seen here. And uh, Stoker's Dracula is much more urbane. Yes, yeah, and that seems to be the difference. Also, uh, I don't know if it's the first, it probably isn't, but it's one that it brings it home. You know, there's stuff happening on Hampstead Heath, in, yeah. and stuff <laughs> happening in Whitby, uh, not not just far away on the other side of Europe. Just like War of the Worlds does, brilliantly. Mm. Um, but yes, uh, not with vampires, of course. Um, Right, sorry, I sidetracked us a bit there talking about the original novel, but it's it's interesting to explore. But I, so again, in some ways, this dis, uh, discounts a lot of that. But uh, I mean, it's it's I I'm going to go out on a limb, and I don't want to say this just from a wanky kind of film. Uh, I've seen this old film, and you haven't, kind of way. But I I do genuinely think it's one of the best, if not the best, adaptations of Dracula that I've watched. Hmm. I think it's fair. It certainly gripped me more than a number of the others have. I, I, I never, I never that into the Christopher Lee Dracula and the Universal the Bella Lugosi. I, I don't know. I preferred the Frankenstein's. Basically. I, I, I enjoy I mean, poor Bella, but yeah, I, he, he did a great job. Uh, yes, but it's not. I, that that is its own thing that happens to be called Dracula, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, yeah, it's less of an adept, and, and a lot of those films deviate very wildly from the plot. Then we have like more modern ones have tried to go back to it, like Francis Ford Coppola's, but it's just it's too bloated. And, and again, they often lose me in the third act. Um, and the BBC one, where the, uh, I forget, forgotten who the actor was, he was very effective in the first couple. But to me, that that none of the none of the vampires are as certainly not as visually memorable as uh, Max Schreck. Mm. Um, I, I just think it's a very well told story. It, it has its problems, but um, I mean, for me, it's a, it's a clear masterpiece. It's just a, yeah. Uh, uh, it one, some contemporary recept, uh, critics were saying it was uh, too corporeal and too brightly lit to be scary. Um, for right. me, it's very atmospheric, partly yeah. because it is. I mean, it doesn't do jump scares. No, it doesn't. It's more. Um, it, it does the haunt. It, it, it's. It's more disturbing and haunting, isn't it? Than yeah. Scary, but you know, jump scares only work once, generally, unless you're Steven Spielberg. You can do that thing in Jaws where he gets a jump scare yeah. out of me every time. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it's it's haunting. I think, uh, as you say, very good, very good. Has flaws, um, but I was surprised how much it engaged me. Being a hundred-year-old silent film, mm. and yeah, because of the. Uh, slightly weird copyright situation. This is something you can get at. It's on YouTube. It's on the Internet Archive. I would strongly recommend that people watch it. Yeah, me too. Definitely. It's uh, it's surprising how many of our how many echoes. I mean, one of our things that were were these films influential. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this, <laughs> this has been so influential. It's it's just sort of seamlessly blended. It. I mean, so much of the visual shorthand of vampires was laid down right here. Um, from them getting out of the coffin, shadows on the wall, not just the visual image of him, but the the idea of of, of vampires and, and the way they work. Mm. Um, even though he's an atypical vampire in a lot of ways, that not many people have directly copied the pure bestiality of him. Um, quite right too, because he it, it, it would be hard to top the the sheer disturbing nature of him. <laughs> It's, this is also, if you're interested, probably a, a pretty accessible um, introduction to German Expressionism. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. It's a, a, an easier watch than uh, Dr. Caligari, that's mm. for sure, um, which I did watch. It's, uh, my first time through watching these uh, films, Masterpiece, I watched The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari for the first time, which is very good, but uh, it left me a little emotionally cold in a way that this didn't. Um, mm. So... So there we are. So shall, shall we roll forward uh, 78 years? 78 years later, we have the story of the filming of Nosferatu. We have Shadow of the Vampire. Um, e. Elias uh, Merigi? Merigi? Uh, Merige, I think. 
married. Okay, fair enough. Um, directed this um, fictional tale of um, the uh, the director F. Murnau, uh, Frederick Murnau, uh, filming Nosferatu and being so obsessed with verisimilitude that not only did he go to the Carpathians and find a genuine ruined castle for his castle, not only did he find um, real peasants to be filmed as peasants, he managed to find a real vampire um, and pretended he was an actor called Max Schreck. Uh, and that is the conceit of the film. Yeah, the um, act, actually the uh, exteriors for Nosferatu were, were shot in uh, what is now northern Slovakia. Yes, I read so, that I, I, uh, while I was looking at it, but I think they talked about him going to Transylvania and, and actually filming it. That's uh, the yeah, then the studio wouldn't pay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he would have done. Um, it's, so it's a... Uh, it's one of those films where it's hard to tell for sure whether it's a black comedy or it is a horror film with funny bits, with the odd... Not really funny bits, but... Mm. I, I mean, the funny bits I'm talking about largely come from... Um, uh, from Willem Dafoe as Nosferatu getting the odd very black line or the way he looks when he mm. realises it's four o'clock. I, I think I've seen it described as a black comedy. I think, frankly, it's more of an out-and-out horror film. OK, I, I would certainly certainly say it has very strong comedic elements. I would probably call it a comedy um, yes. because of all the stuff that's poking fun at the film stereotypes, the film people. Yeah, OK, that's a fair point, yes. And it does have... I mean, it has Eddie Izzard in it as a, as a comic. It, I mean, it was a well-known comic, though his role is not really at all comic. Uh, well, yeah, that's it, that's the nice thing. No, nobody's role is a comic role. Nobody's doing you know, pratfalls to get laughs or telling jokes or anything. But yeah, by well, by they, they, by acting according to the stereotypes, yeah, e- even yeah. in the face of a threat to life and limb. <laughs> it's, in some ways, it's a satire of the film industry um, yeah. as well. Uh, as well as a horror film. So, yeah, I, I think that's fair enough. Um, it, it's hard because, you know, when you say black comedy, they're not really... Generally, that means it's not that funny. <laughs> um, but I found... I mean, I genuinely found this funny in places and was gripped by it in others. Um, so the conceit is that we are following the filming of um, Nosferatu um, with an increasingly obsessive uh, Murno um, as he tries to control his star... Um, who happens to be an ancient vampire who has a penchant for eating members of his set. Um, uh, yeah. So what did you think of Shadow of the Vampire? Well, shall, shall, shall we say, save the overall uh, feelings? I, I, I have a lot of little niggles. Yes. Okay, um, well, I, part of the reason I ask that is because I do too, um, but I don't want it to seem like a, a, a total... Winch fest in the sense that uh, I, uh, yeah, I agree. There's there's a lot of problems with the film, um, but I overall I, I enjoyed it. But we'll get on to that. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Mm. Um, I, let's start with uh, Roger's geopolitics corner, which I hadn't expected to do. <laughs> we in this. haven't visited this corner for a while. Um, there's this casual mention of oh, we're going to Czechoslovakia. It's oh. only started being <laughs> Czechoslovakia three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it, it basically split off from Austria-Hungary at the end of the war under Masaryk. But the yeah, thing is, but... before then, even if you knew about the place, you would call it, you know, Bohemia or Moravia or uh, whichever part of Silesia it is that, that they incorporated. It, yeah. It's uh, it's not a wrong thing. It's not a word they wouldn't have known or anything like that. It is the correct name. It just seems, considering oh, how long it that. takes people to get used to new country names, and, oh, yeah, we, ha- we have to call it... Um, Something uh, now. Yeah, Bosnia Herzegovina now or whatever instead of Yugoslavia, even though it's 30 years ago. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, this, this digs into history, which gets fascinating, but it's not germane to the subject. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, fair point. Uh, but it, uh, well, if it's a thing that takes you out of the film, I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, so I don't know exactly what, who first had the idea for this, but uh, the production company was Nick Cage's Sasson Films. Yes, and it was going to have um, Nick Cage possibly as as the Count. Yeah, um, he was certainly planning to. I mean, I would have liked to have seen that. I really <laughs> um, Maybe not in a good is, way. I, well, to to I be fair, Cage, Cage can act. When he hits the right note, he's amazing. It's yeah. Just, the, and but, when he doesn't the, hit the right note, he's still worth watching. <laughs> it's just yeah. not necessarily to the, the, the best for the film. 
Um, but yeah, and Def- Defoe, uh, expressed an interest and he's, uh, he cast him. Um, so we, we, we've seen Willem Defoe before. We have. We had him in, um, the, uh, the English patient. And there, I think uh, we felt he'd almost stumbled in from another film. Oh, we had him in Platoon. <laughs> Indeed. Well, we? Of course. Um, where he was very good. Um, I, I didn't like him so much in the English patient. I don't know if that was his acting style or what. Um, uh, I, I just felt he, he, he sort of stood out from the rest of the cast a little bit for some reason there. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. friend, friend of the show, Marianne Johansson, describes his performance as one note, but it's the right note. In this film? Yeah. That's fair enough. I mean, he is. It's hard to be anything other than one note to some extent. I mean, he just nails. He, he talks exactly as you would expect the character in Nosferatu to talk. Mm. Um, he, he's, I suppose the only thing I found, he, he had, to me, he didn't quite get the stick insect like physicality. Mm, that's quite fair. perfect. Um, but in every other way, he's, uh, he, he, he nails it, I think. He's, he's just very disturbing. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think one of the reasons that, that one note is the right answer is, He's being disturbing when we see him in isolation, but he's also being disturbing when he's interacting with the cast and crew. Yeah, and it's nice to see because he were... he doesn't care about about these insects. Exactly, exactly. There was there is one nice scene with him though, where he gets um, you know, where he grabs the bat, where the rest of the the, the producer and the writer are drunk, um, mm. and they still they still can't fathom why he's still in character, and they they do a sort of vampire Q and A with him. Mm. And he almost gets a moment of pathos, but this is where it's heavily on the edge of comedy that they like, uh, what did you think of Dracula? And he's like, oh yeah, that poor count. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, it wasn't played for laughs, but it's just, it's a nicely played scene. He's like, his sympathy is all with this poor count who's got no servants and has to work out how to go and buy cheese. Um, it was, I, I really, really like that scene. That was one of my favorites. Yeah. Though, though also the, um, he's been so long without, never mind getting food, without eating, without being at a meal. I mean... Yes. Yeah. And Um, now he has to pretend to know how to make a meal and and get it right. Yeah, it was was very well done. Mm. Uh, I should should note, um, Stanislavski's method was known at this point. It was somewhat used. Now, is this method acting? Is that yeah. the same thing? Yeah. Or is that what method acting grew out of? Uh, it's, it's the same thing. Okay, okay. Um, the, the, the whole idea of you, you, you live the character, not just when you're speaking your lines. Yeah. Um, which leads to the famous, um, probably apocryphal Laurence Olivier and Dustin Hoffman interaction. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you try acting, dear boy? <laughs> um, which I, which, uh, is a lovely story, though probably not true. Um, I'm sure similar things have happened there. I think we get a version of that here as well. Why don't you try acting? Um, from, um, uh, we'll, we'll come on to that. But I, I think Willem Dafoe is, is great in this. Um, and he, mm. I think he was probably the most lauded actor in it. He, he got, he was the one who got the most awards for it. Uh, yeah, I think there was an Oscar nomination in this for him. It's, it's hard to know whether he's, I mean, he is astonishing, it's acting very well because he doesn't look anything like Willem Dafoe in any other sense. And that, I don't think that's just the makeup. Um, I don't know if it's a, a bravura performance. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard not to do well with the makeup he has, with the brief <laughs> he has, but he does very well with it. I still slightly. Yeah. And so Zeke V, I, we, Mena himself is, is played by uh, John Malkovich. Now. My favourite John Malkovich. This is the second thing I've seen him in, knowingly. Oh, really? Okay. And... I, I've seen him in a few other things. And I did see a lot in common with, with his, uh, Jekyll and Mary Riley, but on the other hand, you know, the, the, both of these are obsessed people. Yeah. So, I, I can see, you know, deliberately, if any of these roles is a stereotyped role, I think it's his, even before he starts acting the, the in it. Obsessive so. artistic creator who just sinks into his obsession, um. Yeah, but... which is, which is where for me it starts to break away a bit because I know a bit about the period. Yeah. And Murnau, the people who worked with him said it was the really notable thing was he was not a tyrant. Yes. They that, actually that liked does... working with him. He, he, he would, you know, he would encourage them to work until they dropped, but they felt happy about it. He wasn't shouting at them. 
Yes, he didn't have the the sort of artistic temperament as displayed here. I mean, it's it's certainly where it breaks away from reality. Um, I don't think the film... But he was tall. It was, <laughs> I, I don't think the film would have worked. I mean, the whole conceit of the film is partly is that Murnau's personality is such that he would create this situation mm. and he would actually track sure. down a vampire, which is not... Yes, is not true to reality. And, and if you're talking about Nosferatu, then you have to talk about Murnau. You can't say, oh, well, this is Nosferatu as some other guy made it. Yes, exactly, so... yeah. I, I mean, he's so well known. Um, uh, well, there's so many legends about Nosferatu as well. But yeah, so I, it does him a disservice. But to some extent, I think as long as you're aware it's a fiction, I can cope with mm. it. Um, yeah. As and sim- similarly, Gre- Greta Schroeder, even, even in the timeline where she lived, never actually got particularly famous. But yeah, yeah, she sort of played as this uh, kind of uh, superstar, which she isn't really. Um, and most of the uh, the actors actually survived um, <laughs> <laughs> that play in reality. Or so I, we're told. I, I will um, admit, I was feeling a little bit edgy about this this kind of blatantly untrue story, but with the names and to some extent the personalities of real people. Uh, yes, it makes that, that, me uncomfortable. In, in, well, no, I agree with you. In, in other contexts, it certainly makes me uncomfortable um, because it's hard not to have that picture of them in your mind. Um, it, it didn't bother me here so much, partially because it was so fantastical. But, yeah, and, and I, it was also... I don't know, it's melodramatic, this film, uh, I, I feel. Um, and, and as you say, Malkovich's character is this obsessive that it's just so cliched it doesn't really feel like anyone would be like that so, uh, uh, but I agree it, I, I find it a bit uncomfortable too but for some reason it didn't bother me as much mm. yeah. maybe that's just because it was 100 years ago um, as opposed to 20 years ago and then I would feel very uncomfortable about it um, I, I, I will admit I did feel um, Udo Kier Albin Krau was a bit hard done by because it's amazing actor. Well, it's yeah, well, it, it's good acting but the thing is the actual Albin Grau was a practicing occultist. He was a Rosicrucian. Oh, really? He, he, he founded Prana Films, that the first production of which was Nosferatu, because he wanted to make films about magic and supernatural stuff and, and wanted this recognizable label for them. So. Oh, he's presented as the sort of the pragmatist, um, the realist. Well, well that's yeah. the thing. He should be the guy who knows a bit about legends of vampires, not Galen the scriptwriter. Because he actually yeah. did believe this stuff, and it, it, I mean, presumably um, they, they just didn't didn't know that about him. Maybe maybe well, it wasn't yeah. as widely known then. Uh, Stephen Katz, the scriptwriter here, I don't, don't know much about him, um, but it just well, seems it, like such a lost opportunity. Well, it, it feels like um... this has been Roger's occult corner. <laughs> well, it it, uh, it it sort of deviates quite wildly from reality in the sense that. All the names are correct and like the locations are correct, but a lot of it just is. I mean, I, it probably grew out of the legends that Max Schreck, as I say, even at the time, there were some rumours that Max Schreck wasn't, mm. uh, wasn't actually a real person. Um, and also grew out of the fact that, that it's hard, it's easier to imagine Count Orlock as an actual vampire than as an actor because it's so effective, mm. um, in the film. Um, I did want to touch on Malkovich's performance because mm-hmm. I just hated it in Mary Riley. He, uh, <laughs> it, it worked for me. Um, again, it's a similar performance in some ways, but here he's supposed to be a, a kind of obsessive lunatic and his, his over the top style of, I both, it's weird Malkovich, it's sort of both over the top and understated, um, in that his voice, he's, uh, I, it really worked for me when he's shouting, suddenly shouting at the vampire, "Fucking die, you shit vampire!" <laughs> um, right at the end, just um, I, I, I liked it here. Um, I didn't like the character, of course. You're not supposed to, but um, I, I like the performance here. It worked for me. Um, I wonder if it would have been a bit better, more understated. But these are uh, they're almost caricatures. Um, mm, I, th- I think that's the point. Yeah, and, and I think that's what was supposed to happen. Um, it worked very well for me. Yeah, um, the, 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 the lead actor, the prima donna, the, the um, production guy who, who's saying, no, no, we can't afford this, all that kind of thing. Yes, yeah, it, it felt like a, a sort of called a Cthulhu scenario where you're playing stereotypes <laughs> to some extent. <laughs> um, we had Eddie Izzard as, um, mm-hmm. as Gustav, um, Gustav uh, van 
Oh dear, I, I really can't read my writing at the minute. Today. <laughs> um, but as the the hotter uh, von Vandenheim, thank you. Um, uh, I I I know Eddie Izzard chiefly as a stand-up, um, hmm. and so it took me a few minutes to get used to him as an actor. And I, that's not fair because he, you know he's done a lot more acting recently since stand-up. Um, but once once I got used to that, I thought he was very good in it. Well, I, I think he was able to do the the style that looks to us a bit effeminate by modern yes. standards without going into over the top. Yes. So, yeah, so that works. I, mean, I, I had seen him as, as a straight actor in um, the production of Day of the Driffids a few years ago. Oh, really? Uh, he's one, one of the villains in that, so that worked pretty well, I thought. Yeah, well, he, I mean, I, I got on very... And my problem with his character is he just... Um, Kind of disappears halfway mm. through the film. Doesn't really um, do much, yeah. He doesn't do a lot. He, he he sort of probably figures out there's something up with the Max Shrek that's there, and then even though he's in all the scenes that are talked about later, including you know the final climactic scene, he's supposed to run in and, and pick up the girl. He's just not there. So mm. I, I I I found that a bit odd that he just got sort of written out of the uh, maybe. I don't know. I felt like I'd missed something. Had, had, had he been written out, or did his character disappear? I don't know. But he just sort of disappears, and I—it uh, was a shame. Except then we got Carrie Elwes turn up, and I felt mm. very happy again because I'm always happy when Carrie Elwes is on a screen, even when I'm watching Saw, which is an otherwise dreadful film. Um, yeah, I mean, this this is one of the one of the styles that he's quite clearly quite comfortable playing. Yeah, the the, the comfortable, cocky, confident. Lord Flashheart alike. Yeah. Um, but he does it well. Um, yes. So <laughs> Again, he's a stereotype. And and he's kind of a womanising, drug-using, uh, wunderkind cameraman. I, um, I think it, it always helps a bit uh, when the other characters react to, the, you know, don't just accept him as he is, but say, oh, right, yeah, it's that cocky guy. Yeah. It's that kind of guy, yes, exactly. And, and again, Udo Klein... Um, he may be the best actor in all of the, amongst all of these. Again, I, I agree. It's poorly served by the script. Well, he, Udo Kier always brings the creepy. He does it very uh, yes. well. Yes. Uh, sadly, most of his roles have required him just to bring the creepy. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's a much better actor. As, as shown here, he doesn't have to be creepy, um, but he's it, it's yeah. I really liked his performance. Um, but yes, uh, Carrie was. Um, yeah, I I. Uh, yeah, I, I I like his before. I like his reaction to uh, to Shrek slash Orlock, and I like Orlock's reaction to him. And I like them talking about uh, that scene where uh, Orlock's in the coffin and he sort of goes to have a chat with him about Plato. And there's some suggestion that the vampire may have been around and actually known Plato, that mm-hmm. just sort of dropped uh, and, and not really talked again. I I also like sorry that's sidetracking. I like the suggestion that this vampire has lived so long he just can't remember. Where he came from, really, and I like the, the script. Is like there's moments where you know he talks about having a wood carving, and then of the woman who turned him, and then a marble figurine, and then a picture in his head, and they've all none of them have stood uh, lasted as long as he has, and so he can't really remember his origins. Yeah, um, I, I think there is some attempt to make him at least marginally tragic, but he is he is a monster who is he is still a monster. Yes, who is tragic. He, so he has a few moments of almost pathos, um, but the way he dispatches—you're um, right in that, that it's overtly comic. In the way he dispatches um, some of the uh, crew, is it's, it's comedic in the way it's done. Um, I mean, it's a, 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 that's distracted me slightly because I'm remembering they intersperse some of the actual footage of Nosferatu, particularly the, the beginning yeah. footage of Nosferatu, and it's not—it's. It's hard to tell the difference in some places. It's a very well-made film. Yeah, there, there there are some of the shots that are just done from different angles, and I can't really see why they did that since they clearly yes. had the original reference. But yeah, we probably spotted that more having come right. I'm very glad we watched Nosferatu right before. Absolutely, it, yeah. It really, uh, it really helped that set the scene. And and um, I mean, I the film I'm sure is very enjoyable without that, but it really helped set the scene. Um, mm. Yeah. One one thing that. Uh, I found was a bit, uh, I don't know, perhaps gratuitous. Uh, Greta's raving, drug-induced, whatever. Yeah, she's the only female character of any significance, and she has a raving uh, delirium episode where she 
get the breasts out for for very little reason, particularly. I I will um, I admit that I I was expecting it to to imply that the laudanum dose doesn't work on her because she is so habituated to it, and yeah. that then that would have been legitimate setup, but then it that it just didn't so. Yeah, I, I agree. That felt gratuitous and exploitative in a way, because it's not, it's not really a very graphic film in any other sense. Mm. And she is, uh, I mean, again, we don't have a um, Bechdel test warrior here. She's the only female character of note. Uh, there, there are two other credited ones, but they're, you know, serving women in the inn, so. And she's a, she's a stereotypical um, prima donna, but everyone else is a stereotype here. So I don't know if she's, well, poorly served by that. But, I, yeah, I don't feel there's any reason. We already had a hint that um, Carrie Elwes' character was, um, uh, you know, lived on the edge and was uh, uh, bohemian to some extent, or at least used a lot of drugs. Um, uh, probably not bohemian looking at it. Uh, but... I don't think we needed that. Yeah, I, I agree. Felt gratuitous. That's the very mm, definition. Which is a shame because uh, coming back to the overall, most of it works for me. Where it, I, I suppose, where it didn't work, which I've, I, the first half of the film I really, really enjoyed. The second half, uh, in the parlance of the times, so it didn't quite stick the landing in the sense that I was a little confused as to what was happening towards the end. Um, I didn't quite... I knew they were going to the island. I was a little confused as to why they were suddenly all uh, stranded on this island. Mm. Um, and, you know, he says, oh, I've checked the plane, there's no fuel in it. I didn't... What, who's done... There's a warlock done that? As well. I, I didn't quite understand what was happening there. Um, so I was a little confused going into that final scene. And then the three humans, uh, the three male humans, sorry, I'm excluding Greta here, is <laughs> basically a, a piece of scenery. She is largely unconscious. She, um, though I did really like the, the sort of flashback as she's fading into unconsciousness of, of her seeing him saying, you're, you're going to be a star, you just have to make a, a sacrifice, mm. and her realisation that that was it. But then she sort of remains vaguely conscious after that, which undercut it a bit. The three, so we have Murno, um, and the cameraman and the producer. Um, For me, I never them. really got a, a good sensation of just what the setup was meant to be. And, you know, that we, yes, yeah. we've got these shutters, but why? Uh, yeah, that was it. I was just a little confused as to... They seemed to have a plan. It didn't seem to work, and it was something to do with maybe Orlock had gone and broken the chains to, so they couldn't let the daylight in, mm. I think. Uh, but it didn't... I don't know. They didn't seem to be like, oh, crap. I mean, they did. They were like, oh, no, we're stuck here. Oh, let's keep filming. And then he suddenly starts shooting. Uh, it just felt a little messy and confused at the end. Of the I, mm. I didn't quite follow. I enjoyed it all, but I didn't quite follow what was happening at the end. Um, I, I and, will forgive it an awful lot, though, because of the specific means they chose to depict Orlock dying. Uh, yes, the, 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 the melty film. Yes, the melting celluloid. Uh, it took me out of it a bit, but I, I think it was appropriate uh, for the. I wondered if he was just going to vanish like in Nosferatu, but no, he melted like um, the cinematic monster that he was. It was, it was. Um, yes, and uh, that felt like a commentary. Uh, I'm not sure quite what it was trying to say, but it felt appropriate. Um, Oh, I haven't even mentioned that this film opens with John Malkovich saying, nice pussy, which just felt like you directly trolling me. Even though I picked this film. Um, uh, yeah, so for me, it didn't stick the landing, mainly because I was just a bit confused as to what was happening. Um, and it all, I don't think it needed, for me, it would have just needed perhaps a bit better explanation of the setup at the end. I mean, I did get it right at the end, you know, that he's fallen into obsession. Um, mm. It was it was very good. It was a nice... It, it wrapped up the character arc uh, of Murnau quite nicely. Um, also, just I just like, like the general um, pre-sound era filming depiction, which, as far as I can tell, is reasonably accurate. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a film set in 1922, which is my favourite era anyway, um, <laughs> the 20s, the, the jazz age. Um, and seeing it in in Germany and then in spooky castles and having these kind of... It's like... Steam uh, engine porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I like the juxtaposition of, you know, coming out of the Victorian age in our modern era 
arriving but them still within living memory all of these changes are you know are new to them but they're civilized men um and women i don't know there's something about that era that i find um very evocative yeah i mean Dra- dracula is contemporary horror yes I, yeah. well, I suppose you could call it contemporaneous horror now but you know that that is 25 years ago so yeah yeah well i suppose lovecraft was contemporary when he wrote it um but it's, lovecraft uh, was cutting edge science fiction Yes, I agree. He's a much better science fiction author. And and I will point out the original plan for the RPG Call of Cthulhu was to set it in the modern day, as in when it was being published. Yeah, yeah, which I, yeah, I mean, you can do that in the 80s era now. Um, Mm. I still prefer the 20s. I I, I just, I just like it as a... a Uh, Apparently Between the Wars is, is, is where I naturally live, so... Yeah, any film set there works for me, um... It was it was very good. I think it's flawed in a number of ways, and I I think night for I'm, night was not possible. Uh, right? Yes. Yeah. So they couldn't have filmed at night. Yeah, so which yeah. kind of undermines the whole thing. And again, you it can does. see why. Yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, presumably they could have done this with the nineteen um, thirties um, Bela Lugosi or the nineteen fifties Christopher Lee versions as their um, inspiration. They could, I, I think but, it works better with Orlock because he's such this... Yeah. Well, as I say, it's easier to imagine him as a vampire than a human almost because it's, it's so visually effective. Also, it probably um, didn't hurt about the vile rights situation and it was freely available to borrow from. That was probably quite <laughs> helpful too, um, yes. But yeah, I um, really like it. Uh, I, don't I, think re- it I don't think it's a masterpiece. And no, I'd struggle to call it a masterpiece. We, um, we, we've picked it apart, but I really enjoyed it, even so. I would say this may be the double bill that I've... Uh, I'm probably wrong, because it's probably... Other. I really enjoyed watching both of these films, um, and I, I really enjoyed watching them together. I think they really added to each other. Mm. Um, so I agree, Shadow of the Vampire is not, not a masterpiece, probably hasn't been very influential. Um, but but, but I, I if, if, you're, if you've it. listened to this and thought that sounds interesting, then I would certainly recommend it. Yeah, and I'd recommend doing it as a double bill with Nosferatu. Absolutely. It really enhance the experience um if only to see um willem defoe as orlock i think it's probably worth the price of admission um <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I if it had stuck the landing I, I i still don't think it would have been a masterpiece but i i would have thought it was a really really good film uh instead i really enjoyed it and it's a good film um mm. yeah well there we are um any more to say about either of our horror double bill Oh, yeah, like like you, I, I really enjoyed these. Yeah, it was a, it was a good good couple of choices. Um, I think we're going to delay our 2000 in film rundown of the box office and Oscars to our next episode, given we're, we've discussed two films here, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, super. Okay, well then, it only remains for me to head back to my coffin um, and chuck out all those uh, pesky communion wafers that keep turning up in there. I've got my oven gloves, so I should be all right. Thank you. I think we have it. <laughs> Good ending. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>